Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. God wants to be Lord. That's he died to be the Lord. Jesus doesn't want to come and say, Bill, I want you to do this. I'm like, okay, Lord, and I know you want me to do it, but let me talk to my wife first. You say, baby, you okay with this? Or let me go check with somebody else, my mama or someone else. God's like, I said, go, go, go because I said go. That's the kind of relationship that we all need to develop with the Lord, where he speaks, we listen, and we obey. Everybody else will catch up, I promise. If God leads you and God speaks to you and God directs you and you obey the Lord, whoever disagrees, they'll catch up. Did God tell you to do something that you did not do? You can't see how it will work out, so you didn't do it. Are you disobeying God? In today's message, Pastor Bill admonishes us to obey God without question. God's Word is more important than our spouse's opinions or our family's opinions. His Word outweighs opinions. Most time, God tells us to do an impossible task so that we can grow in our faith and so that God gets more glory. Let's determine to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to the all-knowing God. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Judges chapter 1 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Now, I'm going to give a, a brief introduction to the book of Judges, and then we're going to jump right in. For you guys that were with us through the book of Joshua, you'll notice that chapter 1 of Judges is kind of, because because Joshua flows right into Judges, you're going to see that some of this will sound like a recap. Some of this will be familiar stories. You'll, you'll remember having heard a study on that for you guys that went all the way through Joshua with us. If you didn't, then there'll be some new stuff. But chapter one is kind of brings us up to what's going on. So I'm going to tell you first, uh, here's the introduction, the background to the book of Judges. Uh, most believe the book is written by Samuel. Um, the book is called Judges. It's not speaking of judges in a judicial sense, uh, like at a courthouse. These judges, the name would better be deliverers. Uh, these judges are going to be people that God raises up to deliver the children of Israel in times that they come to repentance. There's 12 men and one woman that are judges. Their stories are told in this book. So one thing we'll see through judges is a lot of Bible characters that you, you kind of know their stories. Samson and Gideon and Deborah and different ones that their stories are told in this book. This cycle takes place within the life of the children of Israel will find them in a place of blessing and prosperity. They've received from the Lord. They're doing well with the Lord. They're blessed. They prosper. Something, it seems like a, a continual thing happens that when they're doing well, at some point they get lured into sin. They mess up. They get lured into idolatry or some sort of sin that brings them into disfavor with the Lord. In God's disfavor, God uses the pagan nations around them to go and attack them. So God will use the pagans, the non-believers around them to spank them. And for different periods of time, sometimes a year or so of spanking, and they realize we done messed up. They cry out to God, and amazingly, God responds every time. Sometimes years go by, then they finally say, okay, 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 you know, and they cry out, and God responds. And when God responds, he sends a deliverer. And that's where these individuals, these judges, these deliverers come in. These individuals, under God's direction, filled with the spirit, they come in, they deliver Israel from their enemies, and they have peace and prosperity again. Usually, the peace and prosperity lasts until that judge dies, and then it seems like they go do it again. And so one of the things that we're going to learn as we go through this book is how to break that cycle. If you're a believer and you say, that sounds like my life, 
I'll be doing awesome, really, really good. Woo, on the, on the mountaintop. Then somewhere around here, I start messing up again and I fall off the wagon and I'm doing bad again. And then God spanks me and I go through all kind of hardship and I finally cry out and God forgives me. And we start all over again. If that's what your walk with the Lord looks like, um, God would take this book will show us what that cycle looks like. And I believe also how to get out of that cycle. Y'all know that's not the cycle God wants you to be in. Amen. He doesn't want you going like this, you know, doing great, doing terrible, doing great. God wants us to be walking in the spirit. There can be a consistency to the life of the child of God. And that's really where we want to get to. And so the span of the book, it spans about arguably 300 to 400 years. That's the time space of of the book of Judges. So that's enough with introductions. Um, Let's look at chapter one, verse one, Judges. I'll read the first three verses. It says, now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord saying, who shall be first to go up for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? And the Lord said to them, Judah shall go up. Indeed, I have delivered them into his hand. So Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me to my allotted territory that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I will likewise go with you to your allotted territory. And Simeon went with them. So let's look at verse one. First of all, um, Joshua dies. That's kind of where, you know, Joshua ended. He dies. That's where this period takes place. One of the things I left out, it comes up at the end of the book of Judges, but I, I want to throw this out as a quiz question. The book of Judges is typified by something. It's commonly known that throughout the book of Judges that people lived a certain kind of way. I'll give you the first two words. Every man did. Anybody know the cycle of judges or the, the attitude of hearts of people? All right, all right, all right. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It reminds me, I mean, it looks like today, it looks like the, what the world lives like today. We expect that of the world, but we don't expect that of God's kids. How many guys remember the study that we went through in Joshua and I titled it Unfinished Business? And it was where they had got territory, but they didn't put the enemies out. That's going to be chapter one of Judges is reminding us of that. Because that's going to plague them throughout this entire book. The reason why they keep getting tempted back in the idolatry throughout the book of Judges is because when they when they had the help of God to wipe out the enemies, they let them hang out. They didn't put them out. And so their kids grow up and they're like, what's that they're worshiping? That looks cool. I want to try. And their kids would stumble in idolatry and they'd be in trouble with God. And um, that's how the cycle would go on. So first thing in verse one, it says uh, after the death of Joshua. It came to pass that the children of Israel had asked the Lord, saying, who's going to be first to go up? So God had given them their lands. Everybody's in their land. But you guys remember that there were pockets of resistance where Canaanites were still in the land. Enemies were still in their land that they needed to now go drive them out. So they asked the Lord, hey, who's going first? Who's fighting first? And the Lord gave them a very clear answer in verse two. It says, and the Lord said, Judah shall go up and Indeed, I have delivered them into his hand. So God says, Judah's going to go. And I promise that I'm going to deliver them into Judah's hand. Judah's going to win. Now, Judah does something in verse three that gives us a hint at what's wrong with the tribe. And we'll see this throughout the other tribes. Judah went to Simeon, his brother, and said, hey, if you come up with me, then I'll go up with you when you go. Anybody see anything wrong with that? If the Lord said, they said, who's going to go fight first? And God said, Judah, you go. And Judah was like, okay, the Lord said go. And he said, we're going to win for sure. He's with us. Hey, Simeon, can you come too, though? If you come help me, I'll help you. This is what that is like. It's like God giving you a definitive answer about something. God giving you a clear path. 
But you kind of trust the Lord. But I want, I just want, I got a backup plan. I, I got my brother to back me up too. And brother, if you back me up when you go, even though God's going to tell you he'll go with you, I'm going to go with you too, that we'll be, we'll, we'll kind of cushion the blow for each other. We can kind of trust God. I trust God, but I kind of trust, I, I want this, I want this cushion too. There are just times where we make a backup plan. There may be in your life people or things that you trust in a little bit more than the Lord. Or you trust in the Lord mostly, but I don't quite let that thing go. I would say that if there's something, someone in your life that if God can't just say go and you go, God can't guide you or direct your path without something, something else happening, someone else's approval, then God doesn't have dominion like he wants to have in your life. God wants to be Lord. That's he died to be the Lord. Jesus doesn't want to come and say, Bill, I want you to do this. I'm like, okay, Lord, and I know you want me to do it, but let me talk to my wife first. <laughs> Baby, you okay with this? Or let me go check with somebody else, my mama or someone else. God's like, I said, go, go, go. Cause I said, go. That's the kind of relationship that we all need to develop with the Lord where he speaks, we listen and we obey. Everybody else will catch up. I promise. If God leads you and God speaks to you and God directs you and you obey the Lord, whoever disagrees, they'll catch up. They'll catch up later on. Later on, they'll look and say, wow, that was the Lord. But you don't want to be lagging back behind. God still blesses this venture. But I believe that we're going to see this continue to be a problem in Israel's that they don't trust the Lord all the way. They don't go in faith and take all the land, everything that God tells them to go and get. And so Judah trusted Simeon when he needed to be trusting in the Lord alone. And you and I need to be careful that there's nothing or no one that we trust in, you know, more than or in addition to the Lord. We should trust the Lord alone. The Lord says, I'm going to take care of that, but it's not in the bank yet. You should be able to trust the Lord that God, you, you said now, if the Lord didn't say it and you broke, you you could pray, you know, but if the Lord spoke on it, then we got to take him at his word. Amen. Look at verses four through seven. It says, then Judah went up and the Lord delivered the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hand and they killed 10,000 men at Bezek and they found Adonai Bezek in Bezek and they fought against him and they defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Then Adonai Bezek fled and they pursued him and they caught him and they cut off his thumbs and big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off used to gather scraps under my table as I have done. So God has repaid me. Then they brought him to Jerusalem and there he died. Uh, they go in, they whip everybody up and uh, they catch the king. Now, what are they supposed to do to the king? Anybody know? Supposed to kill him. It says that if you want to take, if you want it in your note, it says that in Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse 24, God tells him, he says, and he will deliver their kings into your hand and you will destroy their name from under heaven. No one shall be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. So God says, when y'all catch their kings, kill them. When it says wipe out their name from under heaven, you don't do that by cutting off thumbs and toes. You do that by taking them out. Right. So why did they cut off the thumbs and toes? Two things. One, this was a practice of the pagan nations. They would cut off your thumb so that you could no longer wield the sword. They would cut off your big toe because you're not running real fast anywhere without your big toes. So you were you were kind of maimed. You were you were there. You were a man. But it was kind of a humiliating state. Right. He said, I did this to people and they had to eat the scraps off my table. I kept them around as a, to mock them. You guys remember when they killed when they had Samson and what did they do when they captured him? They didn't kill him. 
They 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 hey when they have parties, bring them out. Ah, make them make them make make them make them so put them in the, between the pillars so we can look at them how we got them. That was what the pagan nations did. We mocked they mocked their enemies. They they made fun of them. God said, kill them. I don't want to talk about them. I don't want to see them no more. Wipe them out. We're done. We're moving on to new things. They took their cues from the enemy. Be careful about doing that. Be careful about doing things because I saw that out there. Did you get that from the Lord? Is the Lord moving you to do this? Is the spirit of God leading you to do this? Because if, if it's just, I saw them doing it and it looked cool. You know, it looked, it looked really victorious. But if you didn't get it from the Lord, maybe he doesn't want that for you. God said, wipe them out. They cut off thumbs and toes. Here's the problem with that. They cut off the thumbs and toes and it's a kind of a compromise. God said, wipe it out, but we're keeping it. Keeping them maimed, but we're keeping them. That'll be another thing that we see that follows them through their history. This is one time they're going to do it many times where they don't do exactly what God says do. They, they, God, okay, we won. We had victory. But then we kind of did this thing our way. A mixture of God's power, God's victory, but then we mar it by doing some of the stuff our way. And so they cut off the thumbs and big toes. That's partial obedience. That's not total surrender to what the Lord had wanted. He eventually dies. And here's something else I see, right? When Judah took Simeon, God still delivered. So for Judah, it's like, well, I, I, I kind of did it my way and it worked anyway. And now right here, well, we cut off his thumbs and big toes and he died. So it kind of worked out anyway. Something that happens when we sin and maybe we don't get punished right away. Maybe it, doesn't, maybe it works out, right? Maybe you cheated on your taxes and you actually get that check. <laughs> Extra, right? It doesn't, it doesn't show up. God doesn't get you right away, right? It's something happening inside you. Something happening in your heart. That the enemy's winning space in your heart where I, I compromised. I did it my way and it worked. Sometimes that's worse than if God were to just smack us from heaven the moment we thought about it. Um, because we begin to feel like, well, maybe it's okay. Maybe this is the Lord. Maybe the, maybe the Lord blessed me with this, you know, and it's a compromise. They've compromised here. They're going to compromise more as time goes on. Look at verse eight. Now it says, now the children of Judah fought against Jerusalem and they took it. They struck it with the edge of the sword and set the city on fire. And that was a victory. Judah had success there. They, they took the city. They set it on fire. Verse nine. And afterward, the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites who dwelt in the mountains in the south and in the lowlands. Then Judah went against the Canaanites who dwelt in Hebron. Now the name of Hebron was formerly Kerjath Arba, and they killed Shishai, Ahiman, and Tamai. Verse 11. From there they went against the inhabitants of Deber. The name of Deber was formerly Kerjath Sefer. Then Caleb said, whoever attacks Kerjath Sefer and takes it, to him I will give my daughter Achash as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's son, Caleb's younger brother, took it. So he gave him his daughter Achish as wife. And in verse 14 and 15, now it happened when she came to him that she urged him to ask her father for a field as she dismounted from her donkey. And Caleb said to her, what do you wish? So she said to him, give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. So a couple things here. From verses 8 and 9, they have some victory, but it's not total victory. In verse 8, they beat them with the edge of the sword. They set the city on fire. And afterwards, verse 9 says, the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanite who dwelt in the mountains of the south and in the lowlands. We know from Joshua 15, 63, that that victory wasn't total. They got there and they didn't totally wipe them out. I'll read it to you. Um, Joshua chapter 15, verse 63. It says, 
As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Israel, of Judah, at Jerusalem to this day. And so they didn't drive everybody out. Some of them were still dwelling there among them, and they wouldn't be completely wiped out till later. Now, as we move on, for you guys that were through Joshua with us, I'm going to rehash this, but I went over it then. Um, Caleb, being a man of faith, and I reminded you guys when we went through Joshua, Caleb was there for the generation where Guys wouldn't trust God. They wouldn't go and take the land. You know, the 10 spies that came back with a negative report and it hindered everything God wanted to do. And they died in the wilderness. So Caleb, being a man of faith, says, I want my daughter to marry a man of God. So he he sets up parameters. Hey, you know what? We got to take this area over here. First guy to go take this area. I'll give you my daughter as a wife. And I told you guys went through Joshua for you. I, I really like that. I got a daughter. I got two daughters. And that's, you know, if you got to give your daughter away. This is the all right way to do it. You know, show me that you're got heart. Show me that you trust God. Show me that you're a man of courage. Show me that you're a man of faith. And if you go in and win, it shows me that God's with you because you ain't doing that in your own strength. There's some components here where I look at that and say, Caleb, that that's all right. You know, he sent his uh, he said, whoever wants to go, anybody, any takers. Nobody had to go. The scaredy cats. Could have said, I don't really like her anyway, you know, but, uh, you know, anybody. And that was that was something, too. He made sure that the man that got his daughter, he really wanted her because, you know, I'm getting ready to risk life and limb to go get her. Also, I remember this, that Caleb, because of his faith, he acquired land. God said, you're going to get this land because you are a man of faith. You trusted me. Caleb's got to die one day. I want to keep this in the family. So I want my daughter to have a man that's going to be able to keep you. I'm going to give you land. I want you to keep it. I mean, the same faith that will acquire will keep. If you're too cowardice to trust the Lord to go get it, you won't maintain it if I give it to you. Just some great principles there. I, I have a heart for the singles. And so I wrote this down for the single ladies. How to pick a good man. Here's three things how to pick, that, I, that I took from here. One, with regard to, you know, this guy going out. He, he's on the right team. He's, got, he's, he's with God's people. He isn't talking to the camp on the other side saying anybody, to anybody on this side of the camp that wants to go fight the enemy. He's got to be on the right side. He's got to be a man of faith, willing to believe the Lord, not fear, step up and go. And the last, and I think the most important, God had to be with him. There had to be evidence in this man's life that the Lord was with him. And that was evidence in his victories. Something we should look for, even for you single people. What are you looking for in somebody? I want to see spiritual victory in your life. I want to see evidence that God is ruling and reigning, that God is bringing about his victory in your life. Those are important things to consider for those that are men or women that are single and you're looking at somebody. Are they walking with the Lord? Are they trusting in the Lord? Are they are they having victory in the spirit? Uh, this person's life a mess and they got no faith and the enemy is whomping them left and right. You need to run for the hills, you know. Um, so that, that's that's just extra. We'll, we'll keep it moving. So that's how Caleb decided to pick out a husband for his daughter. I like how he did that. I'm I'm going to find some some measure of test to put some guy come asking for my daughter. I'm like, it's going to be something you got to go accomplish something. I'm going to need to see something. So, you know, the next thing that happens though, and I, I wanted to speak on this real quick. I read someone else on this and I just thought it was really great. The analogy that they gave, it says, um, look at verse 14. It says, when when she came, she urged him to ask her father for a field. Now, this is just in a way of analogy. I don't think this is what this verse is saying, but it's a great analogy. In the New Testament, you know, we're told that the fields are what? What do the fields represent? The fields are white for the harvest. The fields represent the world. She asked her father for a field. She got that. And he asked her whatever she wishes. And now she comes back and she says, give me 
a blessing since you have given me land, since I got a field already. Now I'm in the field. What did God tell them once they were in the field for harvest? What did he tell them? What do you need before you go out into this thing? What did he tell the disciples? What did they need? They need the Holy Spirit. So this is just in the way of analogy. She said, give me springs. And something Jesus said is that, hey, when he comes into our life, that there'll be springs of living water coming from out of our lives. And so she said, give us springs. And, and springs is plural, not just one. The analogy there was, you know, we get multiple experiences with the Holy Spirit. He lives in you. That's first. But then what does he do after that? He comes upon you and empowers you for service. And again, I don't think that that's what this is saying, but I thought it was a great analogy as I, as I was reading it. So I, I thought I would share it with us tonight. Um, she said, give me springs of water. And Caleb gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Uh, he gave her what she asked for. The last thing that he pointed out in the analogy went with regards to the Holy Spirit. This is from John Corson. He said, you know, God said, if any man asks, if any man ask him, God will give it to you. She asked and God said, her dad said, here, you can have it. So this daughter asked for these things. God blessed her with them. She's got an awesome husband now. She's got land. She's got an area with springs. Caleb is kind of the pause in the midst of all this failure. Caleb is the anomaly here. Caleb is the one who he's not like everybody else. Caleb did trust the Lord. Caleb did believe the Lord. And it looks like his daughter has, you know, acquired some of that from him. And now she hopefully this man is going to continue to live that way. Now look at verse 16. It says, now the children of the Kenite, Moses, father-in-law, went up from the city of Palms with the children of Judah into the wilderness of Judah, which lies in the south near Arad. And they went and dwelt among the people. Verse 17, it says, and, and Judah went with his brother Simeon and they attacked the Canaanites who inhabited Zephath and utterly destroyed it. In verse 16, the Kenites continued to dwell with the children of Israel even though they were never really converted, they never really turned over. And so there's still that mixture of people living together that are not all on the same page here. And so uh, verse 17, they're moving forward. It said the name of the city was called Hormah, verse 18. And also Judah took Gaza with its territory, Ashkelon with its territory, Ekron with its territory. And then verse 19 says, so the Lord was with Judah and they drove out the mountaineers. And it says, but... But they could not drive out the inhabitants of the lowland because they had chariots of iron. I want you to pause there for just a moment. So they drove out everybody else. And this is what you're going to learn here. As much as they were willing to take on, God gave them. And even though it says here they could not, it would better read they would not. Now, it says they couldn't move them out in the lowland because they had chariots of iron. I would point to the story of Asa. Uh, for you guys that are not familiar, you can go back and read it later in 2 Chronicles 14, verses 8 through 12. In 2 Chronicles 14, there's a king named Asa. The Bible says that this is it's a man of faith. He's, he takes over. He starts cleaning house. He gets things right. And the, he has 580,000 people that are his soldiers. An army of a million men with 300 chariots came against him. Now, all he had was foot soldiers. So army, an army with almost twice as many people plus 300 chariots, you're outdone. And Asa doesn't look at them and say, oh, man, we can't do it. Asa looked at them and then Asa looked to the Lord and said, Lord, it's nothing for you, rather with many or with few. And it says, and the Lord slew the Ethiopians before them. Asa didn't stop. He didn't say, no, we can't do it because look, they got chariots. That's it. I'm not going to go. He looked at the chariots. He said, that's a lot. That's a lot of people. Almost twice what we got. Lord, nothing for you. And the Lord did it. These guys don't look to the Lord. They look at the people and they say, yeah, they got chariots. We ain't even going to try. 
it, and I, I want you to know that it wasn't that they, it wasn't that they could not. It was that they would not. Had they gone, God would have gave it to them. You've been listening to Pastor Bill Buffington on a transforming word as he teaches through the book of Judges. This was an interesting season for the people of Israel, being led by various judges as they delivered the people from a variety of enemies. You see, real faith lived out through these judges. There was much war and opposition going on, but God was faithful in delivering his people. Do you notice God's deliverance in your everyday life? He's aware of all that's going on, and He cares about bringing you out of those times of oppression. There's much more to learn from the book of Judges, and we hope you come back to hear what God speaks to you personally. If you missed any messages from this series, we encourage you to visit calvaryinglewood.org to hear more in Judges. There's also a free mobile app where you can access all of our messages too. Just go to calvaryinglewood.org. While you're there, you'll notice links to Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Feel free to explore our website and find other valuable information. We offer a daily Bible reading plan that you can look into as well. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. If you have any other questions, Go ahead and call us at 310-245-4811. That number again is 310-245-4811. Well, that's about all we have for today. We're so glad you took the time to listen to Pastor Bill today in the book of Judges. We'll catch you again as we look into a transforming word. Transforming Word.